the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. friends happy thursday and all that jazz my name is ian Sinkins, along with brian Fromm. this is the common good i don't think i've ever given the intro like that before all that jazz did that should i work that in again i like it to that cell okay all right as long i as think s- you and i are both getting like our styles where i'm like get on and tell them all the particulars right facebook and text and, yeah, this, and you you're love like going to the particulars hey guys what's up we're <laughs> hanging out today yeah but for you it's also like please text us please please do please. Please. please text us Tell me you I'm like waiting. my hair. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. I just have this image of you just staring at your phone. Please, anybody, anybody text us. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't? <laughs> it might. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good to be together, man. Yeah, let Thursday. Me fill, let me fill some of the information buckets then. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can go to 1160hope.com. Uh, the show is podcasted, so wherever you get your podcast, if you would like, subscribe, and review Somehow that helps us magically. There are review fairies that uh, help <laughs> bump our show, which is a fairly common name, I'm told. Yeah. Uh, so all of that helps. Um, but we'd, all, we'd also love to hear from you. You can text us 68683. Uh, and then in the message body, simply type CG and then whatever you want to share with us, an anecdote, a thought, even suggestions for the show. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. And uh, the first story I want to talk about today yeah. is a catastrophic one. Yeah, we're going to jump right into it Man, today. oh man, I sent this to you uh, just yesterday. Like, yep. I... Uh, I wish I had a better game face for stories like this. I just don't. Like, this stuff breaks my heart yeah. so much, and um, it is, it's just never easy for me to talk about. But uh, why, why don't you fill us in a little bit what's going on? I mean, you just need to read the headline, and the headline is this, for, off of ABC News. Uh, more than 12,000 Boy Scout members were victims of sexual abuse, an expert says. An expert who has been working with the Boy Scouts revealed that there may have been uh, as many as 7,819 allegedly sexually abusive troop leaders and volunteers in the storied organization uh, abusing of over 12,000 victims. And again, this is from 1944 to 2016. And the um, the Boy Scouts have come out and they released a statement expressing sympathy for the victims, but also noting work the organization has done to protect children. And so... Uh, you know, this isn't like this has all happened in the last year, but it's it's just so heavy, right? Yeah. You read this, and it's so heavy. And if I can add to the burden, um, well, first you tell me you're str- you know obviously for good reason you struggle with this story, but you feel the the weight really heavily. I mean, just the headline of twelve thousand Boy Scout members, like that number is is so 
catastrophic. And I can hear the voices of people already like, well, that's over the course of decades. Yep. I don't care. Nope. I don't uh, like, oh, well, statistically, that's uh, less than another country. I don't care. Like that to me, 12,000 yep. is so not just because like that's obviously obviously the, the sex abuse is the, that's the chorus, the crux. That's the knot in my stomach. Yep. But then it's all the other pieces that lead to that. It's abusing systems of trust. Yep. It's leaders that had like relational equity and buy-in yep. that um, have exploited that. Mm. Like to, there's so many other layers that lead to that. It's parents that trusted an organization. It is like, I don't know, ah, man, so it, hard. It really, it really, really is. And I sometimes read numbers that big and I think, oh, what are we even to do with that? Yeah. And, and then, you know, to add to this and not to make a big left turn, but because one thing that makes this story so hard is besides the victims, you don't want to undersell that. Right. But but you would like to think, and I know we've gotten, we've probably gotten old enough to become much more cynical and stuff, but in, in past years, you'd like to think the Boy Scouts is kind of this virtuous thing, yeah, right? Like right. there's an innocence to the Boy Scouts. There's an innocence and a virtue to the Catholic Church or to the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever else. And I think that's also, when you read these stories, it's another reminder of yeah. like, oh, like the darkness of our world it, there's there's nowhere that's immune to it. Yeah, right. And then you go, you know, that story, we just have to mention it. That story out of Crystal Lake with that five-year-old boy getting killed uh, by his parents that's all over the news today that I'm sure oh, you've all seen. Yeah. And I just, again, you read it and you're like, what what greater innocence should there be than a five-year-old? Right. Like, you're, you're, that is the carefree age, right? Right then to just be a kid. And parents are to love their kid and protect them and you know, these stories are different, but in the same way at their, at their foundation, it's the same. It's, it's just this immense feeling of brokenness, this immense feeling of sinfulness, and this immense feeling of like a, lack, a, a loss of innocence and what should be good being bad. And, and we know this about our world. You know, Ian, you and I teach this all the time from the pulpit, uh, that, that our world is broken and that uh, that's what we celebrate on Easter, Jesus coming back to do something about it. Um, but but when you're faced with the actual brokenness of this world, it's just so it's hard. Yeah, and I I, I don't know quite where what I'm about to say is going to lead us. But yes, we teach about the brokenness of the world, uh-huh. but I don't know that we talk about this specifically. I agree with you. You know what I mean? Like, is Jesus concerned with stories like this? I think that he is. Yeah. Um, why is that so difficult for us in a church context to talk? explicitly or directly about things that are so, they're so clearly an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the temptation is to kind of keep it in the, in the vague and the ethereal, right? Ah, the world in general is broken. There's all sorts of things going yeah. on. Yeah. Is, is the church the right place for those conversations? Is that a misuse of the pulpit? Should the church care? Like not just care at a, like, Oh, we're sad, yeah. but also like a, no, we're going to move some dollars around or we're going to, you know what I mean? Like how, how does yeah. the church engage? Because even like I'm reading this right now, uh, 130 of those perpetrators are in New York and could face legal repercussions. Yeah. What's the could? Yeah. What's the could face legal repercussions? Like how is that even a reality? And I know that I'm, I'm probably being I'm more fired up than is, what is helpful. But maybe that's what we need. Maybe yeah. we need to stop saying. Well, we'll see how this pans well, out. And the isn't da- that sad? The danger is the flip side, where we just become numb and apathetic to these things. Right. Like. You know, oh, another big organization's having a sex scandal. What, you know, okay, right. wait, wait till the next one. There's going to be another. Right. Or, right. oh, I, and I don't mean to be flippant because I'm saying that we have to be the opposite, but oh, a five year old boy got killed by his parents. 
or, oh, there was another school shooting or that, oh, and eventually you do become numb. And I think you're right as uh, just humans, but also as primarily as Christ followers, we can't become numb to the pain of this world. Right. And we can't become numb to the brokenness of this world. It's got to compel us uh, to uh, to do something about it. And like you said, you we can't stop all violence. We can't stop all things. But man, the church can stand up and speak to it. Uh, and like you said, from our pulpits, do we talk about things like this? Uh, or is it like, well, that's going to make people feel uncomfortable? Is that what you think it comes down to? Like a matter of comfort? Probably. You and I did that. We did that story a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago, how increasingly us pastors are, uh, and it had more to do with politics. But uh, there is a uh, you know, what are people going to feel like when I talk about the Boy Scouts or this or that? So there is the controversy of it, but it's also just the uncomfortableness of it. Uh, it's quite frankly one reason I've enjoyed doing a show like this because it forces us to to engage these types of things and talk about them pastorally. Because, man, as followers of Jesus, we have got to enter into the pain of our world. It's not just go to church and everybody's happy and move on to that. We've got to enter into the pain of this world uh and, and grieve with those who are grieving and then bring into that grief the good news of Jesus Christ where there there is an answer to this brokenness. So you mentioned not getting numb, though. Mm-hmm. Is is the solution to feel everything always? I, it's interesting. This is where you and I are different. Yeah. I, I think right, your, danger, different. your danger is feeling everything too deeply all the time. Hmm. My danger is apathy and moving on to the next thing. Mm. So I think you're better to answer that question than I am because I, that's not normally my that's not normally my problem. That's right. not normally uh, my issue in in situations like this. Mine is like, oh man, a five year old died. Oh, that's awful. Uh, what time's the NFL draft tonight? Oh, no kidding. That's yeah, kind see, of the way I would never say that sounds more callous than I want it to, but it's right. kind of the way I functionally work. See, and I would sit and like write a prayer of lament. Exactly. Like that. I I would be offline for a bit, yep. like mentally, because it like so wrecks me thinking about, I think about the family and then I think about yes. the siblings and I think yep. about a structure that allows this to happen. And that sometimes to your point, that can really cloud my ability to like cut through all the noise. Yep. If there is a solution to be found, just because I'm caught up in it, and I think it the balance probably is somewhere, dare I say, in the common space, <laughs> yes. in, in the in-between. But man, oh man, at the very least, this story breaks our heart. Stories like it breaks our heart. And uh, if you are in any way a Christ follower, identify as one, we need to be about more than just pontificating yeah. about a future glory or future place, but bringing the kingdom of God here and yes. now. Heaven on earth here, I think, is what we're uh, what we're charged to do. Well, coming up next, um, here's the headline. I'll just read it to you. Your work-life balance no longer exists, and here's what to do about it. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is still Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is still (laughs) Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, I teed it up just a little bit. The headline is maybe like the biggest no-duh I've read in a while, that your work-life balance no longer exists. And maybe I'm showing my cards a little bit there. But uh, the story itself is actually not only really convicting, but uh, really challenging. Why don't you tell us what's going on here? Yeah, I I do think the... um the headline really gets at it that we no longer live in a culture where, where most people work nine to five. And so this is for various reasons. The way this is at a relevant magazine and the way the magazine goes at it is saying more people who are just out of college and just in that age group, uh, you know, in the kind of the millennial age group are having to work oftentimes 
right out of college to part-time jobs or a full-time job and a part-time job or whatever else in order to make do. And that there's this, but all beyond that is just the, the way that we are all so connected to one another, right? Like, I mean, you and I, could, we text each other all the time about the show. It's not like, well, nope, we're off the clock. We don't have to do this anymore, uh, let alone our pastoral jobs and all this stuff. Right. That it becomes really, really difficult for us to ever have a work-life balance. Mm. Whereas, you know, maybe it wasn't always like this, but, you you know, my perception of how it was a generation or two ago was, you know, you worked eight to five, uh, you, you, you were done working, you drove home, you had dinner with your family and this and that. And and what this is saying is that that is not so much the case anymore hmm. for most people. And then you add on top of that, while for young people, while jobs are available, most are part-time, college tuition has increased 200%, college debt has skyrocketed, first jobs are often unpaid internships. On average, you're working far more hours than a traditional full-time job, and it goes on and on and on. And so what this um, what this is saying is there's kind of this stew of um, of not only having multiple jobs, they call them side hustles here, right? But also <laughs> having um, just the connectedness of our culture. And what it's saying is it is getting really detrimental for us because we're never off. There, there is not even the concept of the work life balance. Uh, does not even exist. So this magazine is trying to say, well, we need to get that. We need to get to the point where we have that and be having the conversation about what could that even look like within our culture. Well, and I love I love stories and articles that offer some really like practical mm-hmm. suggestions because the work life balance thing. I, I am uh, this. I'm sure this is one of many things, but I've had a job since I was nine. Mm. And loved it. I mean, it was a it was a once a week paper out that my mom mostly drove us to. So to call it a job is maybe a little overreaching. But like, I, I wonder who you'd be like. I was in the coal mines yeah. at ten, <laughs> <laughs> just shoveling it out. Yeah, no, but it's like I. Not only did I really have fun with it, but then you know, at nine years old, you're making. I don't know, 60 bucks a month, which doesn't seem like much, but to a nine-year-old, yeah. you're a millionaire. Like, <laughs> like you could, I could buy stuff, and my parents were very, very good about teaching us the value of the dollar. So I can notice some of these, um, some of these trends in myself, uh, particularly when it comes to like dealing with millennials. Yep. You know, some of which I, it feels like don't don't have any interest in holding a job or staying <laughs> consistent. But I'm finding that those are the outliers. They really do, like, they want to be involved. They want to be involved in their churches, yeah. and so often. Churches want to engage their millennials, and millennials want to engage their churches, and yet we just sort of, we just sort of miss each other. And so, um, it says, so if you want to preserve your soul in the midst of your side hustles and vocational juggling act, consider these five suggestions. So I want to read one, get your response. Okay. Read another one, get another response. Uh, learn from all your experiences, both positive and negative. What do you think? Yeah, it says. Uh, pause long enough to take note of your successes and learn from your mistakes. Every experience has the potential to shape your vocational journey if you pay attention and learn from it. Basically, it's this. You got to slow down and kind of reflect upon things, whether good or bad. But it's just so hard. We talk about this all the time. Our culture moves so fast at all times. The second one, stop thinking that you can be anything and start focusing on becoming something. Mm. This, this one's so convicting because I'm 36 and I still buy into the lie that I might have like a secret hidden talent. Like, what if? Isn't it crazy? What if I'm awesome at bagpipes and I've just never tried bagpipes before? Like, that's that still is like click clacking in my brain a little bit, which is uh, 
which is pretty humbling. It says you're at the point in your adulting, relational, and vocational journey, then when you have to do something really hard, choose. <laughs> choose to focus in, to hone in on something. You know, and I think Andy Stanley said it best. He said, your fully exploited strengths will always be of greater value than your marginally improved weaknesses. Oh, so rather good. than this, like, you know, this trying to stay well-rounded, and like for me, I'm just not a good admin at all. And if I yeah. spend all my time winging it in the areas where I feel like I'm strong, but trying to become a really good admin, like I'm never going to be a good one. Yeah. You need to be an okay one to be an adult, but like hone in on the something that yep. you believe that God is pointing you towards. Yeah. The next one's hard. Fight to be physically and relationally healthy. This is the wrong one to be Facebook living, man. Cause I'm <laughs> <laughs> as they're watching me eat snacks yeah. and this and that. I think you got two cups of snacks in front of you. Yep. Only you can choose to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and relationally recognize that today you can choose how you will treat your body, your friends and your family. I mean, cards on the table, just to be honest, since you and I've started this radio show and you and I are both full-time pastors, like that's our main job. Uh, I have found it really hard to stay as healthy as maybe I was with just one job. Really? Yeah, absolutely, because you're constantly running, you're constantly doing things, and that's really dangerous. It's becoming more of a chore to be physically healthy for one, but also relational healthy. How am I going to make time where maybe it was a lot easier before? It becomes difficult. You start to think if you're doing two jobs or you're doing this, if you're always connected, if there's no work-life balance, as this thing says, that could be really difficult. I had a pretty humbling interaction yesterday. Uh, a woman who has been watching the sermons online. We met like in physical space and time for the first time. And she goes, oh, wow, you're way thinner in person. <laughs> I was like, huh? She goes, no, you you look good. And I was like, I don't know how to, oh, no. Like, it, What's it was the old such joke? a trip. What's the old joke? The camera puts, adds 10 pounds, yeah, then, 10 and then pounds. you follow up with how many cameras were there? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. I blame the cameras. All right, next one. Reach out to others who can support good. you and who you can support. So important in like the side hustle, climb the ladder mentality, especially in your 20s. Like, were you doing this when you were in your 20s? Like thinking through, this is my support network. These are the people that are going to be here for me and I'm going to be there for them. No. Or were you just sort of like, I'm going to plan a church. I'm going to make it happen. Yes. I'm gonna, right. You get kind of that laser focus. Yes. And like, you're grateful for the people that are around you. But sometimes it can be really hard to step back and think holistically, like, who am I doing life with, right? Yeah. Who's shaping me and I'm shaping into the person that I'm becoming? Then all of a sudden you find, you look around one day and you're like, I'm lonely. Yeah, right. I'm no lonely. Kidding. Well, maybe because you're just running so super hard that you've never had any time for relationships. Totally. And I, I posted this on Facebook yesterday, actually. What if we instead stopped asking our kids, what do you want to, what do you want to do when you grow up? And instead, who do you want to become? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of person do you want to become? I think leads to asking some of these questions, right? Yeah. All right. Last one. Get involved in a church that is more interested in your mm. participation than your attendance. That That's a good one. What would you say to that? It says, we want you to be involved in a life-giving community, and we're biased. We would love for you that church, for that to be a church near you. Look for a church that prioritizes you, hands you, and others in your generation the keys to leadership. Remember, they're writing to younger people here, but I would say across the board— uh, be looking for a church that is that you can be a part of, right? We always say the church is a family. It's not a building. Yeah. It's not something you attend. It's something you belong to. And so this yeah. gets tied into the one before. Like, are you in a church where you can be uh, uh, helping people along but also being helped along and where you're getting life-giving community built into you where they're helping you figure out, you know, 
these steps of prioritizing and a work-life balance and all this stuff, where it's not just asking stuff of you all the time to keep the machine running, right? Uh, but is 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 caring about your soul yep. and who you are as a person. And I, and I think, too, I would add one, because I think we often talk about, oh, a church is a place where you belong and believe, which just mm-hmm. cards on the table, I agree with that. Yep. But I think it leaves out words like transformation. Mm. It's not just a place that you belong and believe. It is also a place where you are formed into the likeness of Christ, and you do that through participation. Yeah. Like, I often hear people say, oh, I would get involved, uh, but I'm going to, I want to get a little spirit, a little more spiritually mature first. Yeah. And I'll often say, what if I told you that the main vehicle by which you mature is actually taking a risk, yeah. stepping out and say, I don't totally know what this looks like, but I'm going to get involved. I'm going to give of myself, which yeah. is so counterintuitive. So countercultural and so the way of Christ to give of ourselves to not just attend, but to actually say, this is my family. And when family gathers, we all got work to do. Hmm. Well, this article that I want to talk about coming up next, the headline kind of says it all. It says evangelism is more prayer than action for Protestant churchgoers. I think we're going to have a little little tete-a-tete with this one, I think. (laughs) Coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hello there. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm's here. <laughs> is this too. your new start? Is this I'm how you're going to do it every I'm time? I'm going to start it differently every time just to see which one sticks. That one Howdy, I don't y'all. Think is... <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah, we go with the y'all. I like that. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Plus, we're Facebook Live right now. Why don't we Why don't we just do this whole segment staring right at the camera? What do you think about that? Could we do, could we do that? It's <laughs> awkward just with like a straight face. Because <laughs> it's just a... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that would feel really strange. It's so fun to interact with people on Facebook Agreed. Live. So we would love for you to do this and get on there with us, but it's also somewhat distracting. <laughs> There's a delay, too, so I'm looking at you and I just staring at the camera, and you were right. It was super awkward. Oh, super funny. weird. Our apologies <laughs> to everyone on Facebook. Like, we could see, like, five seconds into the past. It's great. <laughs> I'm saying. You can also go to 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted, so like, subscribe, What review, if somebody wanted to text us? I don't know, Brian. What would they what would they possibly do? Six eight six eight three six eight six eight three and there just type C G and then the comment and you can write whatever it is you want to us. Well done. All Thank right. you. Christianity today. Yeah. Evangelism is more prayer than action for Protestant churchgoers. Tell yeah, us about a, it. A fascinating thing, again, this is on Christianitytoday.com just this month, so you can find it there. It's a survey about Protestant churchgoers in their um their level of evangelism or lack of evangelism, if you will. And mm. so, really, I won't get into the stats, but a lot of the stats basically implies this, that, or not implies, just states this, that right. most of us who uh, are in Protestant churches are not sharing our faith. Mm. Even though we know, you know, the Great Commission says share your faith. And we can discuss what evangelism best looks like. Does the Great Commission say share your faith? I, I, a little interpretation there. A little interpretation. <laughs> All right. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Guilty. Oh, it's like well, every day you tell me something. I'm like, yep, got that one. Yep, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, now I feel like a... All yep. right, go for it. Yep. Uh, but it says sharing the good news that Jesus paid for our sins through his death on the cross and rose again to bring us new life uh, is the mission of the church, the director of the Lifeway Research says here, but does not appear to be a priority of churchgoers. And so what you would not be surprised to know is that church attendance, people, the more someone's in church, the more likely they are to share their faith. Uh, which shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like that is, uh, I don't think that's because they're in church. I think it's because they're the type of person who's likely to go to church more often. 
uh, is also more likely to share their faith. But it really does get at um, if we've at least had it pounded into our heads for a long time that we should be sharing our faith, then what is the reasons that we don't? And Mm. before you say, oh, it's just those young people who don't, the last generation did, this survey found that millennials are more likely to talk about their faith That's with right. non-believers than baby boomers or people who've been in the church for a Isn't long time. Isn't that interesting? So before you start wagging your hand going, see all this next generation, they don't ever talk about Jesus. <laughs> they actually found that, uh, that that is not the case. Okay, so one of the things that I find really fascinating about this whole conversation is the way that we even talk about sharing your faith. You yep. kind of mentioned earlier, oh, the Great Commission says share your faith, which uh, it doesn't. So I, I think that's part of it. Yes, And I think this is where we get into trouble because I was raised in a tradition where one of the ways that we evangelized was like clipboards at the mall, right? Or, uh, you know, we'd go to some local fair and the, the intro question usually was, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you're going? Yes. Right. Did you ever do any of that? <laughs> Have both... I not told you my story? <laughs> no, please tell on me the, the story. On the boardwalk in New Jersey? No. Oh, please. Okay. We've got time for this story. Please do. And I'm, so, you know. I, I'm going to, I feel the need to preface this with, I love the church I grew up in. You and I both grew up in Christian Missionary Alliance churches. They're very evangelism driven. Uh, my sophomore year of high school, we went down to the Jersey shore cause I lived in New Jersey and we went to the Jersey shore to a conference called operation. Good news. Oh and yeah. So that's operation. Sure. Good news. OGN. Yep. And so for the first uh, in the morning until lunch, you sat in a classroom setting and learned how to evangelize. Right. Okay. Like it was like a boot camp for evangelism. It was because you're about to go out on Operation Good News, right? <laughs> and so then the afternoon, they dropped you off in pairs oh boy. on the beach. And you were supposed to go up to these sunbathers, to these swimmers, to whatever, and with a clipboard, uh, I've got some questions for you and ask them. And I was this, like, I was this little sophomore in high school. I get dropped off with some other sophomore in high school. You want to know where they dropped us off? Where? Atlantic City. <laughs> and then we were just supposed to go up to people. It was like cold calling. And then we all went back. We ate dinner. And then there was like the big rally night. Like we all got together at night and they literally had a board. Uh, we, would, we would tell how many people prayed the prayer that day. Hmm. And they had a running board going. Hmm. And I actually have said that there is nothing that made me less excited about doing evangelism than that. Yeah, right. And it actually stunted, I would say, my desire to share my faith with my actual friends Hmm. and with actual people I had relationship with. Like, it actually had a detrimental effect in my life. I actually loved going to the beach. It was a great time. (laughs) Uh, But it was interesting. So I'm with you, man. I'm not a big, like, clipboard go. Like, I just... It's, it's, I think See, it's more detrimental than it is good. And this will break my mom, my mother's heart to hear this because I've gone on some of those Operation Good News trips. And typically when they sent us out in pairs, we just like went to the mall. Like I wasn't, there was not a lot of policing, but uh, there's a couple of things that I'll share about that. Because one, um, I heard a guy years ago say, walking up to a stranger and asking them where they're going when they die is like walking up to a stranger and asking them if they made love with their spouse last night. Mm. It's like, it's, we don't think about spiritual realities as intimacy, but, but they are. And to just walk up to somebody that you don't know at all, to ask them that intimate of a question without any relational equity, um, that, that illustration, that comparison actually kind of rattled me and not to, I mean, if I could just brag on our church a little bit, we actually developed, uh, Dave and John developed what are called the Bless Practices. I love the them. I love B- the Bless Practices. And they created this? Yeah, that's them, man. Oh, I didn't so know that. B is begin with prayer. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Yep. Start with the posture of prayer. L, 
listen, like actually listen to the people in your life, right? Rather than walking up to them with a clipboard. Yep. E is for eat. That's my favorite. Just share a meal with them. You got to eat. You're going to eat meals anyway, right? Yep. The first S is serve. So before you evangelize, just serve them. Once you've like listened and spent time with them, they'll tell you mm. how they can be served. And and once you've done all that, then you share your story. That's the last S is story. Mm. And I think seeing it in that structure, and I know that it's an acronym and some people love and some people hate acronyms. It's such a helpful way for me to remember, like, man, am I, am I even praying for opportunities? God, help me, help open my eyes to the ways that you're already at work around me. I want to join the work that you're doing, right? Yes. So it's less about you and I, like, conjuring up opportunities and more than saying, God, where are you at work in my family and in my neighborhood and at my school and at my job? And, and begin to listen to those things, I think, is a really, really helpful first step. And I think what becomes important is this this article kind of says that we're more prayer than action, saying that we pray but don't act. I actually don't think we pray. Hmm. I don't think we pray. You know, Jesus talks about pray that the harvest, you know, pray for the harvest, pray for opportunity. And I, my guess is, and maybe I'm just talking about myself here, uh, my guess is that we don't actually pray, God, give me opportunities to share my faith today. Yeah. And so I, that's where I would, I would quibble with this article a little bit that says evangelism is more prayer than action for Protestant churchgoers. My guess is it's probably neither. Well, you know, I'll share something, too. When I worked at Starbucks during my early college years, I felt really convicted by that. And I prayed a little prayer every day walking from my car to the barista stand, which mm. was a, it was a stressful job. I mean— you're, you're you're almost like a suburban drug dealer, right? Like it's people in their coffee. <laughs> and yes. I felt really convicted. Say, God, just give me opportunities. I can't move. I'm I'm contained in this one spot. And I promise you, man, people started asking me questions out of the blue. I remember so wild. I remember the first time it happened. I like I made the latte and I was like, you know, tall vanilla latte. And the woman took it and then she looked at me and she goes, Do you have any thoughts about the afterlife? Stop. And I was like, Huh? She's like, I just I don't know. I feel compelled to ask you that. I'm like nineteen. And I, I promise you, it was it was the strangest thing. I thought, shame, shame on me. That is wild for not taking that little walk between my car and my place of employment. And say, God, just help me not make an idiot out of myself, yes. and help help me to help me to point people to you. Yes, like that simple prayer. And maybe you're listening, and that's a simple prayer that you can pray. It's a oh, prayer so that I, I often forget to pray. God, I don't I don't want to make much of myself. Help, help me just to listen to the ways that you're moving in the world, and help me to point people to you. I think that that's a really really helpful way to powerful kind of start. All right, so this next story that I want to talk about is I'm already— Speaking of being a good witness. Oh, man. I already feel my face getting red. Christian Elementary School expels siblings after discovering their mother isn't married. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with—alongside, near— in the proximity of? I think every one of those works, I believe. Along with, I think, is grammatically problematic. <laughs> I think I think it does imply that I am both Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm. I think you have dad issues, because you said your dad was the one who would always get just on you with grammar. He's, just because he's right. Not in a bad way. Issues. Not in a bad way. Who's got dad issues in a good way? Who's ever said, like, I got dad issues? <laughs> should, we, should we turn that into a segment right now? <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. What are your dad issues? The last time my dad was on the show, he called in and sang a a Marilyn Monroe happy birthday to me. It was in that moment that I was like, I like Ian's dad a lot. (laughs) A lot. I get that a lot. Both my parents are fantastic. I should probably fill the information buckets. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. I read the headline, let's get ready to rumble. Christian Elementary School expels siblings after discovering their mother isn't married. Yeah, this is out of Ohio, and so it said the, it just starts this way. It says, 
they came from different fathers and their mother isn't married to her live-in boyfriend. All factors that deem two siblings unfit to attend Chapel Hill Christian School in Ohio. Summer Grant's daughter, Samia, Samea, who is in second grade, and Summer, who is in the fourth grade, went to school for years, but their last day of school was last Friday. According to school's pastor and administrator, her children had to go because she had, quote, committed adultery. He said it was many reasons, and the main one was because I was not married and my children had different fathers. Uh, and the pastor said there's Ten Commandments, and committing adultery is not part of that. It's not that they should not go to school. It's that they can't go uh, to the school. Okay. Grant said that Wilson, I'm going to keep going, fill in the bucket for you so you can get m- properly angry. Grant <laughs> said that Wilson had once before lectured her about her marital status, asking her why she had children from different fathers. As a Christian, you're not supposed to judge, she said. You shouldn't have affected these kids' education over it. Grant wondered why she's being singled out when there are other kids at the school with parents who aren't married. And uh, the, the statement from the school, Wilson said that the parents whose children attend the school sign a written agreement pledging that they will live lives that, quote, reflect a commitment to Christ, adding that children's expulsions were, quote, necessary in order to protect the safety of our school children and their families. Ian Simpkins, thoughts. <laughs> thoughts. I mean, I have a few. Uh, I want to assume there's more to this story. I want to assume there's big chasms of information that aren't being included in this article. Uh, but I doubt, I doubt that any of them will make me feel better about this story. You know, Grant uh, says the timing couldn't be worse. She says there's about 30 days left of school. She says she can't transfer them to a public school because her kids would lose a scholarship, which allowed them to attend the private school. She hopes the pastor changes his mind, not for her, but for her kids. I'm not, Ah, okay. I don't even really necessarily want to talk about this story necessarily um, because I'm, I'm a little I, I want you to talk about, about this it. story. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there. But like this, this idea, un- unless these kids were like an actual threat. Now, that's different. If the kids were a danger to themselves and the other students, then, you know, their parents' marital situation is, uh, is kind of neither here nor there. Right. But it sounds like it's much more... To maintain, like, the organizational integrity or the uh, persona or the image of the institution. And when those things become our highest priority, Mm. I just think when the people that ran to Jesus are the ones running away from our churches and away from our institutions, like, shouldn't shouldn't we at least give pause? Mm. I'm not saying schools and other institutions don't have some responsibility to vet I think that's perfectly within their rights. Yes. But if if this is actually true and isn't missing some sort of massive information gap. Which it doesn't feel like it is. That these kids were expelled because their home situation didn't match the ethos and theology that the school ascribed to. Ah, man. I just think what what a missed opportunity to really be Jesus to a family that like clearly is in need. And I don't know, maybe what are some other ways that the church does this? Maybe less mm. dramatically, maybe less obviously, like, you know, this this one's clear, and that's why we're reading it. But aren't there subtle ways that we do this, though, that people feel less welcome? Maybe not expelled, but they don't right. feel like we're embracing them openly because they don't totally fit the mold that we had for what we thought our ministry should look like. Yeah, and let's be clear. You know, private schools can obviously have whatever standards they want, as far as I know. Just because they can, though. I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm not going to stop at that point. Right. <laughs> they can. And so this isn't about – my point is this isn't a discussion about the legality of this or this and that. But 
but even using what's going on with the mom and expel and not being able to see what effect that that this action is going to have on a second and a fourth grader. Right. Exactly. Uh, they're going to need to go home and be like, mom, you know, like, and maybe this is the principal's point. Maybe it's the pastor's point. Yeah. We want your mom to have to own what she's doing to you. But that man, that feels so destructive. And it feels a little bit like a like a hostage situation. It's like we're just, gonna smoke them out so that you learn your lesson. Yeah, it's it's just a really odd move to uh, expel. Then in the middle of the school year, you know, with thirty days left, she says her kids can't transfer then to a public school uh, because they would lose a scholarship, which allowed them to to attend the private school. Um, it's just a it's a weird stance because you are pretty much, you know, I'm not one of these guys who's like we should never judge anything, but it it does feel like. Uh, like she said, you're really opening also the door to the hypocrisy. Okay, are all the other parents, how are they doing at the school? Yeah, <laughs> how, right. How are the big donor parents doing at the school? <laughs> how are, you know, how are you doing, Mr. Pastor? Like, are there any skeletons in your closet? Like, it's just a, it's a real weird stand to take when, when you read this about the school. And it, you're right, it gets to the per- the point of what's the purpose of the school and uh, you ask a great question, like, how do we do this more subtly, hopefully, but how do we do this in churches? Because uh, it's easy, right? Yeah. This is a classic. Um, it's easy to point out the the speck in someone else's eye and, and ignore what's going on in your own. This might be a little bigger than a speck. And but, it should still yeah. be pointed out. Like, yeah. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be pointed out. But uh, it is a good question. How do we do these in our churches? I'm wondering... Uh, wondering where you where, where do you see some areas where we might more subtly do this? So this isn't at our church, but I actually read this recently. Uh, it was a story about somebody lamenting, kind of finding their way back to God and going to a church. And uh, this person had been a part of a local strip club and had been uh, she had been witnessing, sharing her testimony with some of the other employees. And one of the uh, dancers actually decided to show up on a Sunday and mm. had had never been to a church anywhere ever. And so her friends like saw her pull up and was like overjoyed. Like she pulled up in this, you know, this old jalopy or whatever. Hmm. And she got out of the car and she was wearing like, you know, really short shorts and a really revealing top. But she was just so excited that she was there. And so she went out to the to the parking lot to greet her. And there was like a, an usher or an elder that like beat her to the woman and said, um, ma'am. When we come to worship, we offer God our best. And you're telling me that outfit is your very best. Mm. And she, like, got in her car and drove away, right? And, again, that is a really dramatic example. But are there subtle ways that we make people feel like you're not really welcome here because you right. don't really look like us? Right. Or your your life circumstance is a little bit messier. It's a little, yeah. it's a little different. Than, like, the article does say, as Christians, you're not supposed to judge, which is a myth. Absolutely. Right. There's a difference between judging and being judgmental. And maybe mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation for a later time. Like, like that's that to me is one of those problematic kind of bumper sticker Christian sayings that gets us into trouble on both sides. But, man, the idea that we, we'd we be willing to walk away from an opportunity to love a family so obviously in need because it didn't like fit the brand of our institution to me just feels like a problem. And we just talked about evangelism. Like, do we really want the opportunities to share Jesus? Well, then that's going to get messy at times. No kidding. That's a good word, man. Coming up next, worship God at all times. If necessary, use music. That's a little St. Francis of Assisi throwback. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Thank you. 
It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi there, friends. No, I don't like that one. Nope, too Southern. Yep. Didn't, didn't feel <laughs> Hello there, <laughs> friends. <laughs> well, welcome on back now. This is The Common Good with Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. We're also Facebook Live right now, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. You and I and Some of you might so have gotten knocked off, but we're back on. We are back on and uh, as distracted as ever. But you can also go to 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. And we've mentioned it. A few times, Brian and I are also pastors, so sometimes yes. the particular angle that we come at certain stories uh, is through that lens, for for better or for worse. Um, but one of the things that I, I don't know that we've ever actually like gone after this topic head on, mm-hmm. but we sort of like sprinkled it the last four months or so. It's kind of cropped up a couple of times, and it's it's the conversation of worship. And yeah. there are a number of ways where you know we talked about building basketball courts in mm-hmm. your worship space. We talked about uh, sacred spaces, even with Notre Dame, and why, why that like evokes something in us. Um, but I read the headline. I, I think the headline is actually pretty brilliant. Worship God at all times. If necessary, use music. Yeah. It makes me think years ago when we were wanting to to kind of re-enter into a dialogue about worship at the church I was at in Bartlett, Poplar Creek Church. Mm-hmm. We had a survey where we we're just kind of trying to gauge people's general senses of worship. And some of the responses were like really like theologically rich and robust. And other people were like, if there's no electric guitar, it ain't worship. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Man. So like the, the thing that I love about that is that churches are this messy smattering of all kinds of people, people who grew up in churches and people who are setting foot inside your church for the very first time. Yes, they are. But worship is one of those words, though, that I, I feel like has become synonymous with music and singing. Yeah. We even talk about, and now for a time of worship, right? And and maybe we don't actually believe that, but our language seems to support that worship Absolutely. and music is synonymous. And we, you know, while you were gone, my friend and mentor, Dr. Warren Anderson from Judson University, spent a good amount of time talking about how do we better talk about worship. But I'm, I'm curious, even at, at your church, um, how do you address this issue? How do you help your people better understand that, People like the Apostle Paul understood worship as a way of life. Yeah. Everything that we do, do unto the glory of God. How, how do you tackle that topic? It's really hard because I think we speak about it really well, right? Romans chapter 12, uh, what is our reasonable act of worship? It's to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in response to the good news of the gospel. Uh, like that is, that is our response. Worship is a lifestyle. It is a response. And I think we talk about that really well, but then we send mixed messages. Hmm. What do we usually call the person who leads the music in the morning? Worship pastor. Right. And so now we get mad at our people. Worship is not just singing. Well, why, where would they point. get I, that idea? That's a good point. I don't know. We get up and call the guy the worship pastor who sings. We talk about having a time of worship. We're going to join for worship and preaching. Well, what does that mean? We're going to sing and we're going to preach, right? And so it's really... It, it, this is the language we're giving people. And then they get it all over the place. 
I'm going to make a confession here. I was listening to something other than 1160 AM, uh, Hope for Your Life, on the way up here today. How dare you, sir? I know. I know. I slipped. I slipped. I, you backslider. <laughs> I backslid. <laughs> I'm telling you to worship, Pastor. So I was listening to one of the FM stations that plays Christian music, not K-Love, but a different one. Am I allowed to say K-Love on here? I'm not sure. I mean, We're new just at this. did on Facebook Live and Twitter Live and on the radio. So I was listening to a different one, and they pe- they, they they promote themselves as a station that that plays quote unquote worship music in their promo. You know how ours is like, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah, they right. were coming in and you know what they said? And I knew we were about to, we were going to talk about this today. So it made me laugh. <laughs> they, the, the, um, the station said, uh, we're going to blow the lid off of the worship town. Like we're going to do. And then they had another one. It was like, where you come for your worship. And it was clearly where you come for songs. Yeah. Worship songs. And so it's no surprise that people, think that music equals worship and vice versa, but it becomes so dangerous because we call them worship services and worship music that people see that that is what it means to worship. It's to show up on Sunday and sing. And the Apostle Paul says, no, worship is your is the giving of your entire life. It is the giving of your life in response to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it's so much deeper. Yeah, actually singing, don't, I don't agree with that. Singing is part of that. Okay, let's go. Because you, you, the definition of worship you just gave implied that someone has any sense of God at all. I think everyone worships always. I think we are, Harold Best talks about, we are continuously outpouring regardless. Uh, whether whether that's God, whether that's your marriage, whether that's a salary, whether you have any knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ yep. or not, You, it, it's not a matter of if I do or don't worship, it's when you worship. What is it that you're worshiping? That is fair. I, w- I agree. Tim Keller wrote a whole book about that we are all worshipers. Everybody worships. So I agree with that. So I guess I'm speaking from the Christ follower's perspective. Okay. And what does it mean to worship Jesus uh, when we say we worship Jesus? And I still think a lot of us say, well, I sing songs to him or I, get, I go to church or I do this. And that's where I mean that the Apostle Paul has talked about um, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, and that's our reasonable act of worship. And so I agree with you. I think everybody worships. The atheist worships. Um, the question is, what is the um, what is the focus of our worship? And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because like the word that most commonly shows up in the Old Testament for worship is the word hishtava. It shows up like 170 times. Say that times. again. Hishtava. One more time. Hishtava. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, man, I just really messed up this microphone. <laughs> so that shows up like 171 times, if I'm remembering correctly, and it uh, it seems to imply either a bowing down or a, a, uh, a kissing towards is the idea there. Um, but then when you get to the New Testament— it shows up like one time in a letter of Paul, I think it's 1 Corinthians 14, and then in none of the other letters. Fascinating. So in the letters written to instruct the earliest version of the church to be the church, this word that was most commonly used in the Old Testament for worship is almost entirely absent. Mm. And I think part of what Jesus does is he, he like— he like rips this word of its strictly localized context. Worship yep. doesn't just ha- it does, but it doesn't only happen in a particular place. Right. While certain music is happening, it's meant to communicate all, all of life is worship. You're always outpouring to someone or something, mm. and to outpour to put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God. That thing will eventually buckle beneath the weight. Yes. And I, I remember hearing a professor years ago. He says, "We reflect what we revere." And we become what we behold. Mm. So whatever you're revering and whatever you're beholding, 
that's your God. Yep. And he went on to say, if you if you say to God, uh, God, I'll follow you if or I'll follow you when, what, whatever's on the other side of that when, yep. that's what you're really that's worshiping. That's your God. So, yes. so it's not a matter of if I'll worship. We're all worshiping all the time. Music is a really beautiful instrument of that. Like I yes. think it's a vehicle. It's one of the expressions. But I think we got to be careful even in our in our gathering spaces when we say, Okay, now we're now we're going to have our tithes and offerings, and then we'll worship. Like, I, no, how we live with our resources, how we care for the orphan and the margin, that's all worship, too. Yeah. And we create this, I think, unnecessary dichotomy. And I'm sure you feel it. Like, as a pastor, I believe this with all of my heart. And it's so deeply ingrained that I still get up and go, hey, amen. Like, I preach, and then I pray, and they go, all right, let's go into a time of worship. And every time I do it, I feel like, oh, <laughs> I'm like shooting myself in the foot because I've just preached a sermon about what a lifestyle of worship yeah, looks like. And right. I go, now let's go into time. Oh, I just, I did it again. <laughs> it's so deeply ingrained. Man, Tim Keller has written such good stuff about idol worship, right? And that, that you know, we all look back at the Old Testament or the, the Ten Commandments and we're like, of course we would never hold up a statue of gold and this right, and that. Right. We would never fall into idol worship. And he talks about how all the Ten Commandments fall under the umbrella of like idol worship and, and we're not worshiping other gods. We just have our 21st century idols. Oh, We've sure. all got our idols that take our worship. And so I do think we regularly, as followers of Jesus, have to be asking ourselves, where is the focus of my worship? It's usually myself. I'm yeah. worshiping myself, my own interests, this and that. It's why he talks about, you know, you either serve God or money. Money's a great idol, pleasure, <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, else. Right. And uh, it, that's a hard one. And I think that as pastors and as churches, we have to help people understand we all are worshiping something yeah. or someone yeah. or some dream or whatever. Well, I think a helpful way to understand idols, because, again, someone might be listening thinking, well, I don't have a single statue in my house, so mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm I'm clean. It, I think the, the, the best idols are good things that become God things, yes. right? Like money is not bad. Sex is not. In fact, I think these things can be great things in in our lives yep. but when we place them in the in the position of ultimate worth right that's a lot of where our understanding of worship comes from it's ascribing worth doesn't doesn't mean that you can't i mean when we get those things out of whack when god talks about like needing to be number one in our lives. Yes. I don't think it's because he's like some immature junior higher. I think that he knows deep down that when you get that order out of whack, yeah. when you try and fit God to number two, number three, make sure he's top five, it it doesn't work like that. It's Keller actually calls it the disordered loves, the mm. disordered desires, and that when we're hardwired to first behold and revere our maker and we place that focus on a job, even on our kids, yeah. our marriage, good things— when those good things become God things, that results in, I think, a real uh, a real upside-down way of living. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, I love, I love this topic. We're going to talk about the rise of conversational churches, which gives me so much hope for so much of what we do. That's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. I don't know what that music was. Modest Mouse. No. Gosh darn it. I'm so proud of you for remembering the name at all. So I have to keep saying it over and over and over again. If anyone is joining us for the first time. Or the second or the third. They have no idea what I'm talking one about. One of the bumpers is by a band called Modest Mouse. And every time it plays, we've been on this, what, four months now? Yep. I turn to Brian and go, do you know that artist? And you're like, I have no clue. And every time there's music now, I just yell Modest, Modest Mouse. Mouse. What are the odds that when it actually is Modest Mouse, you'll, you'll forget? I'll at least remember. Next time you say, who is this? I'll know. I, I, I believe in you, Brian, from. 
You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. We're also Facebook Live there right now. So if for whatever reason you want to also see our faces while we do this and see us fidget and eat snacks, uh, you can do that. You can also 1160hope.com. And uh, this is a story. It's actually a pretty a pretty robust article. Yeah. A guy that um, I, I sort of know. He came and spoke at our church once. Uh, really incredible author, thinker, theologian. His name is Chris Smith. And uh, his most recent book is about um, cultivating conversational churches, mm. which, I mean, at the beginning of every hour, we say it's time for a conversation, right? Like that's what we're hoping to accomplish is to, at the very least, create space for dialogue. And the reason I think that is so countercultural is it seems like so few people are having actual dialogues right now. It's not just political discourse. We see it online. You ever seen like a common thread just get really messy? Uh, yeah. You like comb through it and you're like, I don't think anyone's actually listening to anyone no. anymore. Like you just sort of spins out of control and you're like, I'm just here for the comments, you know, just sort of <laughs> enjoying a box of popcorn. But I'm curious what you what's what's been your experience uh, as as a pastor, as someone who's been in faith communities for most of his life. Uh, how good or bad are we at this? And and what are some ways forward to actually cultivate like real true conversation, not placating, not pandering, like, okay, well, we gave you a mic, now sit down. Like, how do we actually do this better? Yeah. And and I would take when I first read this, I thought what he was getting at was in necessarily in the worship experience and the Sunday morning experience, having conversation, which can be part of it. Sure. Absolutely. But I, what I appreciate is he's getting more like, no, how do you have a healthy culture of conversation, of debate and disagreement of hard, hard conversations within the church? And I think one of the ways that we can do this and you and I, I don't know, I'm, I almost said, speak for you. I'll speak for myself. I'm not necessarily doing all these things that I'm saying as a pastor, right? We're both pastors. So when I say, oh, we should do this as a church, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily doing this at my church, um, or but or it could be. But I think one of the things goes back to something we talked about before, and that is that we as churches and pastors in general are um, hesitant increasingly to bring up difficult topics. Mm. And I think that that gives a um, an impression that we want to avoid difficult topics. And if you're giving that impression as the leadership of the church, then your people are going to figure that out. And yeah, so I right. think one of the ways to grow a conversational top, uh, church is to grow in your ability to define what are the things you want your people talking about. Hmm. And uh, we probably don't do that well, right? Well, we yeah. probably avoid, whether it be politics or hard theological questions or um, the stories we brought up before where we were saying, you know, churches need to be talking about the Boy Scouts or this or that. Yeah, right. And so making it a safe place for conversation, so it's different than the Facebook world you just described, where people are just not even talking at, they're not even talking to each other, they're talking at each other. Um, so I think that's one thing we need to get better at. And, I, you know, we probably need to teach more on the importance of conversation. A lot of our churches are set up, come in, consume me, the speaker with the microphone for a while, then go home. Yeah. Uh, but instead giving venues for conversation, but it's hard. It's just hard to find uh, the the avenues for it, the time. Uh, it's just a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and I, the thing that I love about Chris is that for him, it's not the benefit of these conversations doesn't terminate once you leave the building. Right. The whole goal is to better equip their community to then engage in hard conversations with their neighbors and their coworkers and um, and seeing conversation as a as a real apologetic, and we were talking a little earlier about you know the clipboard method of like, hi, you don't know me, but if you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you're going? Yeah. Like, 
And honestly, maybe someone's listening and they think that's a great method. We'd love to hear from you. I, I want to I wanna learn in this regard because I think conversation when it's done well and not just as a screaming match and not just sort of caught in our echo chambers, you learn some of the humanity of the people you're talking to. And I sometimes wonder if we value that yeah. enough. Like stories by their very definition are inefficient. It's not, you know, nobody's like, nobody's ever like begun a really compelling story and someone interrupted and said, hey, just give me the bullet points, Yeah, right? Like stories take time. And I feel like in a lot of ways, time is the one thing that a lot of us aren't willing to give up because, and you've mentioned this before, we're super busy with all of our sports stuff, with all my, you know, quote unquote Christian activities. And then my calendar is always full. Like, I think so often the reason that we lack real mm. human connection and vulnerability and storytelling is because e- even if it slapped us in the face, we wouldn't make time for it because mm. I'm going on to the next thing. Yeah. And that thing might be a really good thing. That's the thing. We're not usually like, oh, sorry, I can't talk right now. I got to go rob a bank. It's usually like, oh, no, I, I, I've, I've jam-packed my day full of a whole bunch of good things. So if someone were to stop you sometime during the workday tomorrow, like, hey, can I just tell you some of my story? Yeah. Like, I think the best version of ourselves, we'd like to think, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me close my laptop. Let mm-hmm. me. But can I confess something to you? There have been times where if I'm at my desk and I got a deadline and I'm working on something and somebody comes and they just start talking, I will sometimes very subtly like still aim my body toward the laptop yep. to sort of, I don't know, hopefully subtly convey I'll listen, but I'm still actually, yeah. I really need to finish this deadline. And I hate that about myself. Yeah, you're, like, go, you're going to hell, man. Yeah, I'm clear, clearly. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know what I mean, though? This, like, it, the pull, the, the the ultimate elevation of, like, productivity and accomplishments. And I'm not knocking any of those things. I yep. just think we lose some of our capacity and I think, uh, in effect, lose some of our humanity when we fail to actually enter into to real dialogue and conversation to hear people's stories. Absolutely. I think that's really well put. And, uh, you know, in this article, he talks about how they did their Sunday morning gatherings this way. Yeah. And I got to be honest, if I were searching, that's not the church that I necessarily want to lead. And I think that if I were searching for a church, that wouldn't be the church that I went to Mm -hmm. where it where Sunday morning was it was just kind of a free flowing dialogue. But then, you know, we do set up venues for this in our churches. Right. We usually we call them small groups or or book clubs or other stuff. And the question is, are we giving our time? If you're not going to turn your Sunday morning into that, which I totally get, are you offering a, a bill? Are you helping equip people and giving opportunity for people hmm. to have conversation with each other instead of just hearing from you? And I do think there's value for the pastor to in, enter into those conversations and not always trying to be the authoritative voice on everything. And I know at our church, when we have people sit around tables with opportunities to talk yeah. about whatever it is, we they eat it up. Really? Oh, absolutely. So when we did Explore God, we had uh, a, a discussion night during the week at the church. And it, sure, some non-believers came and some people brought friends, but it was primarily our own people just wanting to sit around a table and work these things out. It mm. was really fascinating. Like people want to talk and, uh, and it's not either Sunday morning or never. Like you could create venues, but like we said, it takes time. It takes energy and uh, but also just hearing one another's stories. You think of the Apostle Paul, right? When he, uh, how many times did he just engage people and just be like, hey, you know, these are your idols. This is what I'm reading. But now I've got, and he just talked with them and went back and forth. And we see that through church history. Um, it, it's so important. But you know what's a lot easier? It's just to preach at people. It's, it's <laughs> or easier. to not talk at all, right? Or like not talk you at say all. preach at people, but that you are a preacher. Yep. And I think, um, 
even, and maybe we'll talk about this another time because I think teaching and preaching are different things. I agree. And I think I agree. at the heart of preaching is not only gospel truth, but storytelling, narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if our only goal is the dissemination of information, right? Just, uh, just to transfer what's in my brain to your brain. And we call that church. Mm-hmm. I think that, that just like rips the guts out of what the, it's so, that's like holding up, you know, a symphony on paper and saying, this is the symphony. This, this, this is it. This is Beethoven's fifth. And you're like, well, technically yes. But when you've actually sat in a concert hall and you've like, you've heard 47 instruments sort of wash over you, that's what I think good conversation and dialogue yeah. does. But we, we, I think we miss so much of that in like an information driven culture that elevates that above anything. When in reality, like when we gather around the water cooler, what do we, we're not, mm. we're not given a ledger of our day. We're like, man, can I tell you a story from yesterday? Like there's still something innate in all of us that I think when we hear a great story, I think it's what drives us to the box office Yep, and it's why we buy books in a lot of ways because like, oh, there's something to this story that's pointing to something greater. And I, I think our churches, when we, when we look at the Bible and realize the percentage of how much of it is story, and then we look at the percentage of our sermons, those those percentages are almost inverted. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, what would it look like to have better storytelling in our preaching, in our small groups, in our dialogue with our spouses and our neighbors? Man, I think uh, I think that could make a huge, huge impact. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. That just makes me want to dance, doesn't it? Go for it. Nah, that's, that's, not, that's not a good idea. I don't, I don't think we need to go there. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with the very hooded Brian Fromm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to get on over to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. We're also Facebook Live there right now. And we're Twitter Live, which I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know either. Next week, we're going to try and get on Insta figure that out. Does that feel natural for me to just call it Insta? Yeah, I just like that you said that I'm wearing my hood right now. The only reason I did it is in response to that you put your uh, your fedora back uh, on I? over I the top. Notice. Yes. I didn't. All right. Well, so, I believe you. I wanted to fit in. <laughs> You're doing a great job. You can also go to 1160hope.com or get the show podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. And I okay, so we've been all over the place today. We've had some really heavy topics and yeah. some complicated topics. This one it's just a feel-good story. It says, men invite elderly women to eat with them when they see her dining alone. I just want to read some of it, okay? Please do. It says, uh, it's funny how a simple meal at a barbecue restaurant in eastern Alabama can impact so many lives. Jamario Howard was out with some friends eating at Brad's Barbecue last week when he noticed an elderly woman sitting alone. My exact thoughts were, dang, I'd hate to have to eat alone. Uh, Howard said this on his Facebook page. So after thinking about it a minute, I walked over to her and asked if I could sit with her. The woman's name was Eleanor. After a few minutes of talking, Howard learned that she had lost her husband, and the following day would have been their 60th anniversary. I instantly gave my condolences and asked her to come eat with us, which she was excited to do. His Facebook post shows Eleanor joining Howard and his two friends um, having dinner that evening. And his story has been shared more than 36,000 times. That was a couple days ago. I think it's way past that now. But there's, there's something... I mean, this caught my eye because a bunch of people were sharing it, but um, the other thing that I find so heartwarming about this story is that this is the kind of thing that's perfectly within our power to do all the time. It requires no fancy skill, no millions of dollars, no specific training. Like he just, he noticed her. Yeah. And I don't know, man, I feel like this has been a little bit of a common thread throughout the last few months that we've had the show is that the, the significance of just noticing people where they're at is so 
subtle and so easy to overlook and so life-giving. It's uh, To read this story, and you and I were like, man, this feels like a great feel-good way to end the day. Because, like you said, we've talked about some hard stuff, <laughs> to, uh, confusing stuff to other stuff. But you're exactly right. When we all read this, we all, my first thought is this. If I saw this woman by herself, I would totally invite her to eat with my family and I, right? And my next thought is, but I wouldn't see her. Mm. I might look over and be like, oh, that's too bad that that lady's eating by herself, but Mm. maybe she wants to, or maybe. I think that you're so right that it's just, it's the old, like, uh, this old GI Joe thing, right? Knowing is half the battle. Like it's, uh, I would like to think that the majority of us out there would go like, you know what? I would totally invite this woman to eat with us. I would pay for it. I'd want to hear her story. We'd want to build up a friendship. We'd want her to feel loved, but we just don't notice it. So uh, good on these guys for like, not just eating and just having their, their being absorbed with just their own life, but for seeing what was going on around them and then taking that step that had to be an awkward step to say, Hey, you okay? Like you're eating alone, hear her story. And then like, why don't you come eat with us? Um, and to be honest with you, in the culture that we live in, if you've read this online and seen the picture, it's, it's three young African-American boys with an, an elderly, older white woman, which is just, you know, I would have to think for them to make that step culturally was probably also hard. You would like to think it's not, but let's be honest. It probably was. Yeah. And so all of that makes for such a feel-good story that you want to celebrate it. And Mm. I think for me, there's a couple takeaways. But the first one I would say is this. uh, Keep your eyes open. Look up. Look at what's going on around you. You said it before when we talked about evangelism. Once you start praying for opportunities, they're all around you. Uh, Sometimes they're miraculous, but sometimes it's the old lady sitting next to you. And I don't mean so that they can go share Jesus with her. I mean so that they can go be Jesus to her and be like, hey, I want to love you. And just, you know, I see that you're valuable. And then they... They didn't know that it was almost her anniversary and her husband had died and this and that, but they found it out and right. they were able to step into that heartache. It's just such, it, it's a really, it's, it's a bunch of young guys being Jesus to a woman who needed it. Have we talked about the David Foster Wallace commencement speech that I listen to every year? You listen to it every year. I've listened to it once or twice, but I listen, no. I listen to it every single year. So so someone made a video uh, to go along with it. It's called This Is Water. It opens with the story of two young fish swimming in one direction and an older fish is swimming in the other direction and the older fish says to the two younger fish uh morning boys how's the water and they didn't say anything mm-hmm. and they kept on swimming and then a little bit a little bit wait you know down the way they said the heck is water and his mm-hmm. whole kind of premise is that we often live so unaware of the people and circumstances around us and he goes on to talk about some very very real circumstances he's talking to you know kids that are about to graduate he's like you have not yet had the grind of a commute of nine to five work, yeah. of day in, day out. It can be so crushing. It can make you lose some of your light. And you'll begin to see other people in a particular light. You know, this person who is a human being with yes. complex stories and realities, right now, they're just the person driving too slow in front of you or taking too long, you know, in the grocery store line. And his whole kind of call to action is let's not let that be our story. Let's not let that be our reality. And there's a reason that I watch it every single year. I have it like on a timer. You watch it every year. Uh, yep. Because for me, and again, as best we could tell, he wasn't a Christ follower. No. Like, you know, the commencement speech is is uh, is devoid of Jesus gospel truth, to, yeah. to, to be fair. But it, every time, I mean, I've done this for about eight years. It, every time I do, it is this reminder of what's important, mm. of how quickly I glaze past 
all of the people that I interact with, not just the people closest to me. I mean, yes. I'm terrible there too, right? That's so easy to miss the blessings of the people right under your, right under your nose. Absolutely. But I think with every person that I interact with, like it's it's encouraged me to go back and offer a word of encouragement to a barista that I kind of, I didn't blow off, but I didn't say anything to. Yep. It's encouraged me to think differently about the people I'm standing in line with. Like all of those, I really think are sacred opportunities charged with the grandeur of God to bring light and life and hope in small, simple ways. And I think especially as pastors, sometimes it's easy to feel like, quote unquote, off duty, you know, like, ah, I'm not preaching a sermon or I'm not leading a meeting. I'm just uh, in line to get a burger. Like, no, 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 those are all opportunities. And I think the reason that stories like this resonate is because all of us see that and go, yeah, I think we need more of that in the world, yes. right? Like the word inspire, spire from the Latin the sanctus, which is breath, which is life. Mm. When we say something's inspiring, what we're really saying is, yeah, they, that gives me life of some kind. So yeah. even if you're not a Jesus person, I mean, 36,000 shares, those those weren't all Jesus people. Yeah, nobody reads this story and, be, and is like, oh, <laughs> the, oh, this is terrible. Disgusting, right? Everybody reads this. And this is why it goes back to just having your eyes open and seeing. And and then to to spin it forward as Christ followers, like, can we just be honest? This is what the church is supposed to do. Like, we need to strategize and we need to come up with great programs and this and that. But at its core... We as Christ followers are called to uh, to love on people that need love. Like she's just an old lady at a restaurant to most people. Most people will walk right by her, and we're called not to walk by people. Like Jesus didn't just walk by people, and so uh, this is a picture of what the church is supposed to do. Even though we have no idea if these three young gentlemen are believers or not, we have no idea. Right? They just did something that was right and makes us all feel good. And like you said really well, it makes us all feel good for a reason, because this is just the best of humanity. This is what it's supposed to happen. And it doesn't take, you can be poor or rich and do this. You can be black and white and do this. You can be old or young and do this. Uh, It doesn't uh, it take any extra skill set to watch and to lo- and to show people love. Well, can I just say too the beauty of doing something like this without an agenda? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, this is a story for another time. But you know, we've we've talked briefly about my time on the streets of Philly, yep. and I had done you know some weekend things like that in Chicago, and having been on the receiving end of how some churches with probably the best of intentions uh, will engage you in conversation and how good that feels, and then to immediately be met with like. Uh, some sort of like conversion attempt or some sort of really? invitation to it. Yeah, I could feel like a little bit of a, I'm like, oh man, you missed such an opportunity to just be present with a person when we are trying to like sell you something or pitch you something. I think the story here and why that resonates is because th- these guys were just having a meal yeah. and, they, and they saw an opportunity and there was no strings, there was no bait and switch, there was no ulterior motive. And I think ultimately we have a responsibility, I say, you know, ultimately our agenda if there is one is to help people find their way back to God, yes. to help them meet the person that, you know, loves them and created them. And, um, but when we, when we lead with agenda, I think we have to give people credit that they sniff that out better than we realize. Absolutely. Like that, that is that, that I think often just drips of this sort of marketing corporate approach to, to what Jesus did that often, you know, got them really, really ridiculed. And in many cases, the text even tells us that when the crowd are trying to get him to keep going, right, he's got an agenda, he's got a destination, he's stopping the crowds and listening to someone on the floor. And I think what a model that is to like stoop down low, to, to have a conversation and not just heal and walk away, but ask this this blind man on the road who'd been blind for, you know, who knows how long and say, what, what can I do for you? Absolutely. How can I love you? How can I love you in this moment? I think what a, what a 
what a beautiful glimpse into how we're to live that is. That's good stuff. Okay, so in light of all of that, Kicker. let's end the show with some insanity. Some yes. interweb insanity that we did not find, but our producers have chosen for us. We're going to read them sight unseen as a way to end the show here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. I don't know if anybody else likes that, but that I makes love me it. giggle I every love single time. I've had people be like, Ooh, is that you? Is that Brian? It's, it's a secret mystery person who made that bumper specifically for us. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. We've been off again, on again with Facebook Live. We've had some uh, internet issues, but yep. we're thinking this might be like a like a, a Thursday, th- a Thursday regular. So yeah. we'll hop back on next Thursday from 4 to 6, and we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have some Facebook Live going for you. But just to re-clarify, disclaimer, uh, the way that we end the show is some interweb insanity. And so our producers choose the stories, and they choose the sound effects for them. So yep. these are currently face down on the desk. We've not seen them. We're going to read them sight unseen. If we giggle... The giggles are real, and uh, Brian's going to kick us off. But just don't blame us. That's what you said. <laughs> Missouri, a firefighter recruitment ad touts low pay, cool helmet. <laughs> a Missouri county trying to recruit new firefighters is getting real with its sales pitch, saying insides posted outside its stations that the job offers hard labor, odd hours, low pay, and a cool helmet. <laughs> He says they're short about 15 firefighters and rarely have a full staff. The recruitment ad comes amid a shortage of volunteer firefighters, and they're hoping that the humor will catch people's attention. Talk about the wrong stuff. I mean, that certainly caught my attention. A cool helmet. You know what? I would consider it for the helmet. I would really, really would. All right, Colorado. Denver Police Department swears in a horse. For the first time in history. Okay. <laughs> the Denver Police Department is welcoming its newest recruit to the department. He's only nine years old and has four legs. He's also He also has four hooves. Maverick, the Mustang horse, has been with the DPD for about two months, training to become part of the Mounted Patrol Unit. Maverick was born as a wild horse in January 2010. He spent most of his life on a ranch, but has now traded the country for the city. He's a nice horse. Mm. He's well-tempered and well-mannered. He's a sweetheart, Maverick's partner, Officer Ron Jensen said. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. I mean, we knew that we, was we could have seen that one coming, right? Ohio. Ohio. Woman discovers a possum living in daughter's closet. Oh, man. An Ohio woman said she thought her young daughter's imaginations were running wild for three days until she discovered an opossum living in their closet. Jeez, Louise. Caitlin Burt said in a Twitter post responding to... Uh, Chrissy Teigen's escape pet hamster story that she had her own struggle with a loose animal in the house. She shared a photo of the animal lurking behind the toys in the closet. Hi, this possum was living in my children's bedroom for three days before we believed them. (laughs) They said her daughters had been complaining for three days about a creature in their closet, but she and her husband checked out the room and decided they were playing make-believe. She said her husband carried the opossum outside and released it into the woods. Is that a dolphin? <laughs> can we can we hear that one more time or no? Is that a? It does sound like a teeny tiny high pitched dolphin, doesn't it? <laughs> I've never thought of the connection there. I guess maybe we need to believe our kids a little bit more when they say there's something in the closet. All right, Minnesota State Patrol cites driver for watching Law and Order behind the wheel. <laughs> Don't do that. Oh no. The Minnesota State Patrol is warning drivers to stay focused behind the wheel after several people were cited for distracted driving, including one person who was watching Law and Order while behind the wheel. According to the State Patrol on Tuesday, a trooper pulled over a driver and discovered he was watching Law and Order on his phone 
Another driver was sending emails while in rush hour traffic on Interstate 94. Both drivers were cited. On Wednesday, the trooper pulled over and cited a 21-year-old driver who was using Snapchat while driving on I-94 near Fergus Falls. In that same area, a trooper also cited the 25-year-old driver of a commercial vehicle for shopping on Amazon with a phone. Extra distracted driving enforcement continues through the end of the month. The Minnesota legislator recently passed a law prohibiting drivers from using their cell phones except in hands-free mode. Oh, wow. I just had the weirdest dream. You know you're driving, right? (laughs) 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 Last one, and it's not Florida. No Florida today. This is from you, though. Pig steals camper's beer, gets drunk, and starts a fight with a cow. Okay, just for audience clarity, why would you say this was... You're the one who suggested this article. I just want to make sure that it's clear that it's not like my kind of article. Some folks get extra cheerful when they've had a few too many pints of lager, and some folks get a little cranky or downright depressed, still others lose all sense of propriety and good manners and get sloppy and silly. But who knew that pigs could be among the ranks of those who get ill-mannered and mean? That's exactly what happened in Australia when a pig, a wild pig that is, got into the sauce, got (laughs) drunk, and started a fight with a barnyard buddy, a cow. It all started when some careless campers left out their their drink, and the errant pig decided to help himself to the sudsy stash. It soon started exhibiting bad manners and loudish behavior, including picking on a nearby cow. After slurping down the liquid gold, this little piggy went to the garbage bins and began rooting around for a late night snack. Come along there, you, you uh, big buttheads. Can we say that? I mean, I we guess just we did. Say it. Well, well, we never know. We never know. That's a good point. Hey, man, it's been a fun day. Never a dull moment. You always call me man. I'm going to talk about that later. Hey, man, <laughs> it's been a fun Thursday. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.